Here's the question. Does God speak to us as individuals or does he speak to us within community? Like a lot of great questions, the answer is both. I mean, we need to be in church. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're in community. I'm glad you're considering a women's small group. I'm glad you're considering a 242 group, a men's small group, because he speaks to us in community. But he also speaks to us all by ourselves. Sometimes we just need to be alone. It's a combination of both community and also solitude. Beth and I had three children in three and a half years. They're paced out right now at eighth grade, 10th grade, 12th grade, but I have kind of forgotten how intense those three and a half years were when we had so many in a small time. Thank God for that, but some, some of that has been blocked out of my memory. It's like a fog, you know, it just all happened at once, all together. And at that time, Beth had an a unusual practice. She used to go grocery shopping at Walmart between like 1 a.m. and 3 a.m., I kid you not, some of you were witnesses to this. That was her time to, to go grocery shopping. And, and I found that a little peculiar, and I was, I was, I was concerned, uh, you know, why she did that. And so as a young mother and who had all this pressure on her and, and who made that choice on her own free will, I gave her exactly what every young mom wants from her husband. I gave her time management advice. I mean, I just knew there was ways that she could manage her time better. And so I said, you could get up in the morning and go early in the morning or while the kids nap, I can, I can stick with the kids or I could go to Walmart on the way home from work. And what I failed to realize is that what she really needed beyond the task is some solitude. That was her time to get alone, her time for some mental recuperation her time to listen to music. I see some heads going up and down from some young moms or some moms who, who have understood this. And so a, a lady just needs her time. And like most things in my marriage, it took me a long time to catch on to that truth. I just didn't, I didn't catch on. And so we worked it out. But we, we understand that there is this need. Today, as I'm talking to you about encounters at, at Penil. And Penil means this, the face of God, the face of God. Here's the first observation I want to make from Scripture is an encounter with God sometimes needs solitude. Not all the time, because sometimes God speaks in community, he speaks in a group. But sometimes we just need solitude, and this was certainly the case with Jacob. In verse 22, it says, During the night, Jacob got up and, looked and took his two wives, his two female slaves, and his sons, and crossed the ford. He took them and sent them across the stream along with all his possessions. He got all by himself is what he did at that time. Jesus showed this same principle. When the crowds began to come to Jesus, and Jesus, his popularity grew, we find one of many examples in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. It's one of our lectionary readings today. It says, when Jesus heard about this, he withdrew from there. He withdrew from the crowd by boat to a remote place to be alone. So Jesus shows us this example of, yes, we need community, but we also need to be alone. And so as we start this, and I, I, I want you to, to, to evaluate where are you on this. I, I know that this morning that there's good Christian people who I wish were at church today because they need community. But I also know that people within good, healthy communities like this, sometimes we get so busy with church stuff, maybe we are not having enough solitude, devotional time, alone time, and all of those things are necessary. 
children, we're going to pray for our children later on today, and our teenagers, but children especially, I say all children under the age of 16, um, are pretty powerless. And here are the two things that they do not have in their life. Money and transportation. Money and transportation. Those are the two things that children and young teenagers do not have. And so it's amazing how powerless people, what they need is to find someone with power and a benevolent heart. So if you are a child and you need someone that has the power of money and the power of transportation and simultaneously a benevolent heart towards that child, that is called a grandparent. <laughs> and as kids are really young, this, this powerless position they are in is especially discouraging to them when they're wanting to access ice cream, right? So when they want ice cream, kids have this incredible way of manipulating or, or encouraging grandparents to buy ice cream. Now, we, Beth and I have two parents who are alive. My mom, who she's sitting here in this service, and then her, my mother-in-law who lives in Kentucky who makes frequent trips down here. And I'm telling you, both of these ladies have spent thousands of dollars on ice cream. I mean, it's crazy the amount. In fact, if we could just go back in time and not have ice cream and put them in college funds for the future, I'd be a lot more relaxed this morning as, as my kids get closer to college. And, and, and they have just, the kids work the system. I mean, this has not changed either as they've gotten older. One of them has a driver's license. The other has a driver's permit. And just this week, my mother-in-law was in town. I walked in the house. I was stuck on a phone call. I mean, I had the opportunity to be on the phone call. I should have said it that way. To, to love I was on a phone call, and I walked in the house and all that, and, and Peggy was there, and she whispered. She had her purse and her keys. She said, I'm going to get ice cream for the kids. What any things? I'm like, this is still happening. I mean, it's still going on. It never, never ends. As they were younger, this is the, the process the kids would start. They would really think in advance. They would start off with an innocent question. Can we get ice cream today? Just kind of throwing the question out in the air. It's just kind of floating in the atmosphere, following us. And then the question got a little more specific, even when it wasn't confirmed. It was usually a maybe. Where will we get ice cream? And they're really manipulating the system now. Then the question is, when will we get ice cream as the day is progressing? And then before you know it, before plans have even been made, they're already planning out what flavor they're going to get, what toppings they're going to get. This is the power of a powerless person using their tenacity to accomplish something, to get something done. I thought about that with this story because we are powerless people when we encounter an all-knowing, omniscient God. But my second point today is this. An encounter with God takes some tenacity on our part. It takes some tenacity by God's providence. Look at verse 24 again. Jacob was left alone, and, he, he, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. We find out later that this man is God. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. And then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. But look at this. But Jacob said powerful phrase, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
What an unusual story, is it not? But it's a story that's used as a prototype for us, as a metaphor for us. And I love this tenacity here. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I, I, am, I am powerless. I am powerless, but I, I'm wrestling with this almighty God, and I'm not going to let go until he blesses me. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take advantage of this powerful God with a benevolent heart and have the tenacity to receive everything he has for me. Let me ask this question to you today. How determined are you for God to bless you? How determined are you to receive every gift that God has for you? There is something in our character that we need a holy determination. I want you to listen closely to this phrase. I've not yet met a person who has loved God for many years who hasn't struggled with God. I know some of you are newly saved. Maybe you were baptized last week. Maybe you've gone through Alpha and there are time periods where it's just like, oh, man, salvation, God, Jesus, everything's just, just perfect. But when we walk with God for a long time, for years and even decades, there are times of struggle. There are times when we struggle with God. I'm going to say that phrase again. I have not met a person who has loved God for many years, yet who hasn't struggled with God. One of the reasons I want to share this scripture with you today and emphasize this scripture today is because we need to wrestle with God. Wrestling with God is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that we're out of his will. Wrestling with God doesn't mean that somehow we're different than others and that Christianity or faith doesn't come easy for us. God is in the struggle. God struggles. God allows our struggles to occur. Wrestling with God is good. If God was easy to understand, would he really be God? I mean, if you could, if you could take a class or go to a seminar or give a weekend and figure God out, and at the end of that, Session at the end of that book, at the end of the teaching, you had God all figured out. I mean, what kind of God would that be? That would be a God that would be too easy. That would be probably a manufactured God. A God who was made up by mankind as some kind of coping mechanism. Man, that's not our God. Our God, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes we, we struggle with our faith and we struggle with God and we struggle with the questions. But what we don't struggle with is the love we receive from him. It's an odd paradox. We're not going to fully understand everything about God until we see him face to face. And if you're one of those people who think you have everything figured out about God, either you're living a really simplistic life or you're not really following your heart and being authentic. Man, because there's just some things about God that don't make sense to me. There's some things about God that I don't understand yet. There's some things about God that I struggle with. But the struggle has been good. The fight has been good. The wrestling has been good. Because as, as, I, as I engage in my faith, and I, as I wrestle with God, I learn more about who He is, who He really is, not who I want Him to be. Not who I try to create Him to be in my own image. So, we serve a God 
who's not intimidated by our doubts. We, have a, we serve a God who doesn't get nervous with our fears. We serve a God who we can turn to. I, I've had conversations with people in which I've expressed stuff that I was dealing with, stuff that I was struggling with, and sometimes it was the wrong person or it was the wrong timing or it was the wrong place, and I could just see it on their face or I could hear it in their voice. And I know this, is that when no one else can understand me, God is there with his presence for me. It's interesting, the God that I often don't understand is the same God who comforts me in that lack of understanding. Now, try to explain that. The scripture is really clear that, that we will not be perfect until we see God face to face and that we only have limited understanding now. We, we only had limiting, limited understanding. And as we walk with the Lord, we get more understanding. We get more revelation. We get more holiness. But God doesn't give us everything until we see him face to face. Because if he gave us everything, we would mess it up anyway. What he gives us is what we need the most, and that's his love. His love that's in the middle of the struggle. His love that's in the middle of the adversity. His love that's in the middle of the doubt. His love that's there at our darkest night. Our God's love is not there for us only when we do well, that we do good, when he approves of what we do. God's love is there for us at our darkest day, in our deepest mistake, in our doubts, in our fears, in our anxieties, in our screw-ups. Our God's love is there with us over and over and over and over again. It's called unfavored grace. It's unfavored grace that causes me to preach today. It's unfavored grace that causes me to go to the Lord's table. It's unfavored grace that makes us a community of faith. And so it is that we wrestle with God. We have tenacity. We don't let go because the struggle is good and he is in the struggle and he is there for us. And maybe he gave us this unusual story about Jacob so that you could be reminded this morning that wrestling with God is not a bad thing. It's part of forming who you are. I had an encounter with God. Uh, I've had many encounters with God, but the one I'm thinking of was at a youth camp when I was in junior high. That's why youth camps are so important. I hope you plan to let that be part of your family's rhythm. We have a fall retreat coming up in October. They're so important. I, I had an encounter with God that summer, and then I was in junior high in seventh or eighth grade, and I had kind of a personal crusade. Something the preacher had said at camp caused me to think this was a good idea. My personal crusade was to stop all cussing on my football team. Not my cussing. Well, I stopped that too. But other people's cussing too. This was my crusade. Guys, it didn't go very well. I wasn't very successful. But I got a nickname because of that. The nickname was Rev. Hey, Rev. Get in line, Rev. Catch the ball, Rev. What class do you have? When's your math period, Rev? That didn't work out really well with my ambition to have my first girlfriend in junior high either. Because that name Rev bounced out of the football team into the school. And so that didn't work out so great for me. It made me think of what happened with Jacob here. Jacob had an encounter with God. And here's the third point. 
that changed his identity. An encounter with God changes your identity. Verse 27, what's your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob. It'll be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. As we live a responsive life to the gospel, how many know the gospel comes to us by grace, by God's choice, and then we have by faith in his grace the ability to respond? As we live this responsive life to the gospel, has it really changed our identity? Here's a question I have for you. It's not the only test, but maybe it could be a test. The question is this. What did they used to call you? What did they used to call you before you met Jesus? And what do they call you now? Did they used to call you funny because you put down every person possible? And do they call you kind now, friendly, loving? Did they used to call you in other types of words, essentially rebellious because you're always pushing the limits, you're always going against the standards, you're always pushing back against social norms just out of a rebellious heart? Do they call you obedient now? What are you called? Are you called Jacob or are you called Israel? What do people call you? Are you responding to the gospel? This great grace that comes and puts our destiny in heaven. And we get the opportunity to live a responsive life. We're not trying to earn salvation. That never worked. We're responding to salvation. And what's your identity? Because the power of the gospel changes your identity. The power of the gospel changes your name. What you were called before, you won't be called anymore. Earlier this year, I completed my doctorate in education Thanks to my loving wife and the Facebook, most of you know that. I had like four or five celebrations on Facebook, like I finished some testing and finished a dissertation and then had my graduation. And so all of you were gracious. And before I act like I'm above all that, I loved it all. So thank you. I'm not going to try to act like that wasn't important or special. But, you know, there's been a physical price to pay for that. I don't really see as well as I did four years ago from looking at the computer screen all the time. And at this point, my short-term memory is not quite as good as it used to be. I hope that's going to change soon. I'm seeing it change a little bit, but they say it's, it's you're storing so much stuff in your head. Some stuff makes it to long-term memory and some stuff does not. So I hope my short-term memory improves. But you know, I'm, I'm proud of, of what me and my family were able to do together on that. Some of you have run marathons in here. In case you didn't know, a marathon is 26 miles. The furthest I've ever run is six or seven miles. 26 miles is a long way. And a lot of you I've talked to, your body has paid a price for it. You know, you say, I shred my ankle, my knee's bad now, I have back damage. I personally believe that the human body wasn't meant to run 26 miles in one setting. I know this human body was not made to run 26 miles in one setting. But you marathon people, you don't care. 
You'll, you'll take the bum knee. You'll take the bad ankle. You'll take the bad back because the thrill, the accomplishment meant so much to you. On a much more serious illustration, on something that is not a joke, and I have respect for people, people who are veterans of war combat often have the physical scars from their act of sacrifice, more so than ever as survivors of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, there's better triage, and so many, many of our soldiers are surviving, thank God, but they live with the scars and the pain, both physical and mental. A magnificent accomplishment, but there's permanent physical price to pay for that. And this is what Jacob encountered. He encountered a living God. And there's a lot of questions about this passage that comes up. But we know this is that God revealed himself face to face in a wrestling match. And when you encounter the living God, Moses, he only encountered God's shadow and he couldn't handle it. You're never the same again. Here's my last point today. An encounter with God gives you a victorious limp. An encounter with God gives you a victorious limp. I ran across that phrase Years ago, it helped me, 20 years ago, in Brennan Manning's writings. A victorious limp, the idea that we have the victory, but there's been a pain, there's been a cost. When you encounter God, I mean, you're not quite the same again, and, but it's a beautiful limp, it's a victorious limp. Verse 29, Jacob asked him, tell me your name. He answered, why do you ask my name? He, and he blessed him there. And Jacob then named that place Penil. It means face of God, as I've already told you. For I've seen God face to face, he said, and I've been delivered. The sun shone on him as he passed Peniel. It's the same place, just a different spelling. Limping because of his hip. A spiritual limp is victorious. As I thought about this some time ago, I came up with this phrase that you may have heard me say before, but it helps me. I, I, I say this, I don't really trust a person who doesn't have a spiritual limp. I don't really trust a person who doesn't have a spiritual limp. Meaning this, it's people who say, oh man, Christianity's easy. Step one, step two, step three. You have it made. Healing's easy. Say this, repeat this, receive this, healing. Oh yeah, oh, witnessing's easy. Share this law, this law, this law, read this prayer, they'll get saved. While those kind of guiding principles may give us important information we need, it's just not that easy. And people who try to make the Christian walk seem like it's easy. That you invite five people to Alpha and nobody shows up. It's just not that easy. And so what you do, you keep moving forward. You may have a limp. You may not move as fast as you want to, but it's in a victorious limp that you keep moving, moving, moving forward with the things of God. I want to invite our children, if they're ready to come join us. We're going to pray for them today. We're going to pray for God to, God to just surround them with his favor today, this school year. This is a custom of ours that we, we want to continue as long as we can because we want... All of the kids are coming in to right now to know that they are important. 
And when it comes to parenting, let me talk to you about this. Training in parenting is a good thing. But I've learned this is that, is that training for parenting, it's not that easy. You need the Spirit of God. I, I saw this irony in, as a youth pastor and now as a pastor is that I've seen some of the most dedicated, greatest parents I've known whose kids have, have just had a hard time with their faith. Then I've seen these other children who, teenagers who come from really, really bad home situations, but man, they just caught on to Jesus. The point I'm saying is this, is that it doesn't always work out. The formula doesn't always work out like we want it to. So what do we do? Is there's hope for every child, no matter what their family situation is. And if you've parented in a way that you have temporary disappointment, I'm telling you, don't stop believing in your kid. Don't stop believing in yourself. Don't stop believing in the promise of God. Keep moving forward. You may have a limp today because you don't see what you thought you would see at this point, but it's a victorious limp because God's taking you through. We're not going to give up easily. We're going to have tenacity to be the people God's called us to be and to do the things God's called us to do. And, and it's worth it every single time.